Hello there, Katie. Hello. Can you hear me? I hear you uh, perfectly. Did you get a new telephone? I did. I'm Ooh. hoping. I'm hoping this time I will re-listen to our podcast and not cringe at the quality that I am hearing from myself. So yes, I went to the Apple Store and it just turned out turned out to be that my phone was dirty. <laughs> so you know, take that as you will. <laughs> Mountain lady, you. Yeah, I'm like, all right. So, but it's a good thing because all they had to do is clean it out. And, you know, you always expect uh, something expensive to come from the Apple store. But I also did buy new earbuds thinking that maybe that would help too rather than the, the plug-in kind. But anyway, that's boring stuff. Welcome to the spiritual... Involution. Dun, dun, dun. dun Are you dun, in Tahoe dun. right now? Glorious I Tahoe? am. I'm in glorious Lake Tahoe. On the Nevada state line. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. And you? Where do I find you? I am in the children's schoolroom that is my little. I'm looking at the trees and the birds and the sunshine. I am loving the sunshine. Although you I hear I are... in, I hear yeah. that this is called the spring of deception. Like you think it's cut, like you think springtime's here, and then there's still usually one more big storm looming. So my hopes aren't, you know, completely <laughs> up. But I'm enjoying the moment. Well, <laughs> I I wanted more snow, so I put all my snow gear away, and and I'm relying on Murphy's Law to help me out. I put out all the summer furniture on the deck, so that'll make it very difficult to shovel snow, which means snow will probably come. This is true. But you kind of want it, so it works in your favor either way. Yeah. Well, what do you want to talk about today, David? We haven't really, you know, this is sort of a fly by the seat of your pants podcast, I think. Well, it has been, except uh, (laughs) you you brought up a few weeks ago in a private conversation that you wanted to explore the the 12 Rules of Life by Jordan B. Peterson. And our last podcast, we looked at chapter one, which was... Stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's a, one of the rules of life. And the second one, as I recall, Katie, is um, treat yourself as someone who's worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, close, we're close. Should we hang treat up and start yourself... all over? <laughs> <laughs> no, people like our scatteredness, I think. Uh, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping is the actual wordage of rule number two. But that's only because I have the book open right now. That's not from my memory, so. Well, the fact that you even had the book in front of you is glorious. There you go. I have something prepared. I did read the chapter a little bit ago. Um, What were your initial thoughts when you read or listened to this chapter? I I listened to that chapter now several times, and it's very complex, and at the same time, it's very, very simple. Um, treat yourself as someone you're responsible for helping. Is that the title? Mm-hmm. And my, re- my, my reflection on this was, was that that means if you've got an addiction or a behavior that's counterproductive or some language that's not working, um, treat yourself as though you're responsible to help alter that, change it, transform it. That's what was occurring for me was if there's something in your life you want to create, you want to transform, you want to change, you want to alter, you're the one responsible 
to make it happen. That's, that's in a nutshell what I gathered. He uses a lot of illustrations, um, mostly about how humans typically, when they take their pet for, I don't know, some surgery or some, some medical checkup and they, let's say, are given a prescription, humans will almost always make sure their pet gets that prescription and takes it. And those are the same people who very often don't take their medication, um, don't alter their behaviors that are damaging. And so it's curious that we will treat our dogs probably better than we treat ourselves. Now, that may not be what Jordan B. Peterson meant, and that may not be what you read, but that's that was my takeaway. Let's say yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, well, when I first read the title, I liked the title. As I read on, he goes into such detail about sort of biblical references as it, it pertains to this idea, which I found interesting and I'm not yet fully convinced are accurate, but interesting nonetheless. You know, he's still playing with this idea of chaos and order and finding that place in between. And if you're looking at the book like I'm looking at, each uh, chapter is is illustrated by a picture, you know, and the picture is a really interesting picture as I'm looking at it. It's a little creepy, to be honest, but it's of a little boy or girl, and she's looking at a painting that appears to be on the wall, and it looks like there is a young woman, I'm presuming it's Eve, looking at an older woman who's looking at Eve kind of angrily, and then beyond the angry version of what I think is Eve is a skeleton holding an hourglass as if time is now something to be held. And when I read this chapter, Peterson is what I think making an assumption or a, a, a line towards the, like the original sin constantly being with us as a human being, a flawed creature, you know, that's uh, just at a part of being human, like we make mistakes. And he thinks that the reason that we would be more likely to give the dog the prescription than maybe take it ourselves is we have some sort of original sin that makes us feel in some ways unworthy to walk with the Lord. And we undermine our self-worth in a kind of like masochistic way, almost like we're not deserving of it. And I think he comes to the conclusion that we need to release that burden and realize that we are these beautiful creatures of creation and that we are worthy of walking beside the Lord. And in that sense, we're making decisions based on how I kind of view it is based on on who you are in that form. So it's not always what makes you feel good. For example, I've been on a mission to read more. And the other night I was lazy and I said, I just want to watch fluffy TV. But I, I, I thought about this chapter and I said, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. And I viewed myself as helping my better self. My better self would be better for reading, even though I want to watch crappy TV. I chose not to. And in the end, I think I became a better person for continuing on the reading path. And I think that's a little bit of what he's trying to get at is treat you like you're somebody responsible for helping doesn't mean catering to the least potential that you have. It's catering to your most potential that you have, which is godlike. Hmm. 
that's what I took. So in what situations would human beings need to be helped? Like, like what, what would be some of the symptoms for anybody who's participating right now by listening? What would be some of the symptoms they might be experiencing that they are responsible for helping? I see this chapter is so esoteric. It's, it's hard because it doesn't really give examples. To me, it's more of a, a state of being that he's after rather than maybe examples, but it would be helpful to potentially get an example. I, when he was talking about the Garden of Eden, he made an interesting point that I'd never thought about is that here in the Garden of Eden was order. God had placed, I mean, this is hypothetical, right? This is like a, I'm looking at this Bible story as a metaphor. In the Garden of Eden is the epitome of, of order where everything is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and Eve took from the tree. And what was there in the garden that made Eve take from the tree was the serpent, right? So here in this, what God could have created was a world without a serpent, right? He could have created a world without a fall, without the chaos. But even in the Garden of Eden, he couldn't escape a little bit of chaos, which was the serpent. And to come to that recognition that life is an ever-flowing ba balance between the state of chaos, which is like the serpent, the unknown, the darkness that things are birthed from, and then the order, which is everything has its place. And that you as a human being are falling into that, that, that place. And there is going to be times when you fail. And there's going to be times when you do things that are serpent-like, that are potentially things that you might be ashamed of. But that is part of life. And that to hold on to that could be a way of sabotaging your life. And in a sense, you're not, you're not being responsible for yourself. You're not looking at yourself like a child that deserves forgiveness as well. Sometimes we're the hardest people to ourselves, right? And I think there's so many examples of that, although I can't, can you think of like a, an example right Actually, now? Actually, yeah, what's occurring for me, um, Wow, there's many, you, you just threw, you just unpacked a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to sift through. Thank you for that. Um, when I think about uh, biblical references, and thank you for framing it such that we're talking about metaphor. So um, friends who are participating by listening right now, we're, we're not debating or even talking about Garden of Eden as a factual geographical location, but really a state of being. I think that's what I heard you saying. And some of those states of being are um, like I'm feeling helpless, uh, feeling hopeless, feeling um, stretched. I, I was thinking just yesterday, I, I said to Mauricio, that the reason why I think I've been so short-tempered and even experiencing anger more frequently than I've ever experienced it in my life is this last year, uh, I'm not just talking about uh, a pandemic, but also Mauricio injuring his leg and then being uh, bed bound for three months and, and all that that took. Um, I'm experiencing being emotionally bankrupt. So well, I, I, <laughs> Mauricio will poke me often because I don't know as much about finances as he wants me to know, but I do know enough to know 
that if I keep taking out of an account and I don't ever replenish the account, eventually the account will be empty. And, and this last year, it's, I, I have taken and taken and taken from my emotional bank account, like I've used it moment to moment to moment, but I didn't spend a lot of time replenish, replenishing it. So what I found myself in was I found myself without emotional intelligence. I found myself um, reactive and uh, angry and uh, sensitive and, and easily triggered. And I spent a little time on the mountain yesterday by the way, is this is this in alignment with what you're talking about, or should I stop talking? No, I think. I mean, I don't know. Oh, okay, I think so. I mean, we're trying to find real world examples. So a real real world example. Um, we're talking about chaos order, having flaws, and and you're going into. I'm going into I've, a, a self yes, example. I, I literally had clarity about why it was that I was getting so wonky, and. And there was a time, and maybe a couple of weeks ago, I might have some emotional reaction, which is not what, the way I want to be. And I began reflecting on, it's up to me to do something about this. And what I know about, about me is that when, when I get clarity that it's up to me to do something, I need to spend the time to find out what it is that needs to be done. So what needs to be done is the cessation of temper tantrums or of uh, fearful thinking or a constant low-grade simmering of upset. So when I'm going to treat myself as if I'm someone responsible for helping, um, being aware that I'm short-tempered or angry all the time, that's one of those symptoms that I'm responsible for helping it. Another might be people who, who might be smoking too much or drinking too much or or um, sexing too much, or sexting too much, or anything that's causing them to feel out of control. Any of those uh, things that in, in moderation are actually part of a full, rich life, but when it becomes um, unworkable. That's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the example that I can think of at the moment, Katie, is may, maybe people's yeah. addictions. Um I think that's a good example. And I think he makes a good point in the chapter as well, that when you say treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping, it's not the same by any means to say treat yourself like someone you're responsible for making happy. They're different. And so your ego or your id or your childlike nature might be wanting to throw that temper tantrum. That's how I was earlier this week too. I felt I felt like I just didn't, want to control my emotions anymore. And, you know, for a moment, I definitely failed in, in trying to always stay in, in control of that. And it takes that self-reflection and, and going forward in a way that you are responsible for helping yourself, but not in a way that just maybe momentarily feels good, which would, which would be definitely, a, I think, appropriate for addictions, right? Because it feels so good to drink that. It feels so good to smoke that. It feels so good to eat that donut when you know you shouldn't, you know? So who, so helping versus happiness okay. is an interesting line. We, we may not publish this. We may not publish this, but let me just tell you, let me just tell you a, a real life situation <laughs> and then you gauge whether or not it's appropriate to be public. Um, although we've said that in almost every time we've spoken. I have a, re I have a relative. <laughs> 
I always get nervous when you preface like, something like that. These uh, days, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want you to. No, I don't want you to I, get in trouble. I have, I have, I really a, rel- have, I have a relative. Buddy, I have a relative. I have a relative. No, it's not about getting in trouble. It's just, it's it's very raw and very okay. real, and it's also um, personal. I have a relative who's been on the edge of homelessness for a couple of years, who can barely barely make ends meet and the only way this person makes ends meet is by being rescued by other people now i'm saying rescue because there seems to be no action taken to help themselves they have they have um, put themselves in a position of being shameful when they're when they're calling and asking for help and by the way there's no shame in asking for help but this particular relative actually says every time I'm ashamed to be asking for help. Now this is going on now. This is the second year. Every month it's the same story. Nothing is altered. Now let me, let me put something else at play. This relative has three dogs and these three dogs are all well and happy. These three dogs have snacks and food and medical care. And this relative has been invited to live with another relative, free. And they get along well, they have a lovely life together. But the relative that invited this troubled relative has said, you cannot bring those dogs because they are destructive, they're mean, they're ill-tempered. Now, one of these dogs, you cannot even go near because the dog will bite even this relative. Okay, you get the picture I'm painting? So this person Mm -hmm. is... um, desperate, always on the edge of needing to be rescued. In fact, having to be rescued every month. And they have the power to alter it. One, by finding a different home for these dogs, let's say. And if the dogs whom this relative doesn't even love, in fact, doesn't even like them, but feels a sense of responsibility, this relative is keeping those dogs in a, in a particular way of living while their life is unraveling. That's what I was hearing when I listened to Jordan B. Peterson's Treat Yourself Like Someone You're Responsible for Helping. That's really what I see going on. And I don't know what to do about it because it brings up all kinds of, well, are we talking about putting the dogs down? No, I'm not saying that. Are we talking about finding another home for them? Possibly. Who's going to take these dogs that are 15, 16 years old, close to death anyway? I mean, all those considerations. That's the problem. Our considerations get in the way of our clarity. <laughs> yeah. How was that? How was that for a right That is turn? a, I mean, that is a very, uh, a, it's a tough story. And, you know, I think a lot of these things aren't, aren't easy answers. And I think in this chapter, he would question the value that you have for yourself. Like, are are thing are you is your original sin that you carry you know is this constant pull between your internal battle of you know with the snake is it keeping you from feeling like you are worth the life that could be given if you make a tough decision or are you placing the value somewhere else so you can stay in that position that's kind of a victim position because it's comfortable to you well, there, there you just said everything you know? that I couldn't say. You said it so coyly. <laughs> um, 
yeah it's like you're trying to like teeter-totter on these words um I was I highlighted some bits of the book and we were you know I told you about the snake in the garden which I I just thought was an interesting visual and he had written and even if we had defeated all the snakes that beset us from within out reptilian and human-like we would still not have been safe nor are we now we have seen the enemy after all and he is us so this idea he keeps bringing back that um, he had also says the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And that this line is what entails us and allows us to grow, but it also can keep us from growing if we use that shame and that, that guilt that we feel to not feel like you are a miracle. I just thought those were interesting words to choose. And he even goes on to say, and even if it were possible to permanently banish everything threatening, everything dangerous, that would mean only that another danger would emerge, that of permanent human infantilism and absolute Hmm. uselessness. How could the nature of man ever reach its full potential without the challenge of danger? Without the snake, without have biting the tree of knowledge and just living in this fantasy land of pure goodness that God created, would we be worthy of the goodness at the end? You know, we have to battle the snake and we have to be okay with failing sometimes. And you have to still believe that in your soul, you are worthy of helping mm. yourself. I think it's pretty that powerful. thing about the uh, good and evil, that line drawn in the heart of every human being. Wow. And, and um, I don't know where it came from, Katie. Somewhere, somewhere, in, somewhere in my readings over the last 30 years was the idea of um, relativity. And, well, why can't we have everything perfect? Why does it have to be hatred, evil? Danger, let's say that's the word you just use, danger. That seems to be the nature of relativity. If um, if I imagine myself being in a perfectly perfect room where everybody's perfectly doing something perfect all the time and and I'm feeling perfect, looking perfect, eating perfect, the perfect body, in all that perfection, what would predictably occur is the need for unpredictability. There might be like this we'd be we'd be poking for some kind of surprise some kind of difference because if we are in the same temperature all the time we stop noticing the temperature and we lose being alive so i think a likeness almost requires mm-hmm. those opposites i think one of the troubles for me katie is when when the surprises paralyze me and then i feel victimized and paralyzed like i'm paralyzed to take action because i have taken that challenge whatever it is and seeing it as unsurmountable insurmountable non-changeable and so i acquiesce turn over belly up and just give up hence treat yourself as though you're someone for responsible for helping for helping. Mm-hmm. And he said something in there that heaven doesn't arrive on its own accord, which also made me feel like what you were saying, like 
we're not even deserving of heaven until we battle our own demons and we and we live in this dichotomy. Wait, 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 like, wait, wait. The heaven isn't tell, the heaven is imperfection. What was that? Heaven does not arrive on its own accord. What is what does he mean by that? I think it means it it takes work. Heaven is a place within your soul where you've come to terms with the snakes, with the demons, with the evil. And you've come to a place where in, in it all, you, you still find God or the one or love or connection. And it's almost like it's, it, it can't be given to you in perfection because what would it be? It, like you said, it would have, it would be less sweet. It would be less, it would just be dull if, if we didn't earn it. Heaven isn't, isn't a place that we find because it's just given to you. You have to work through it. And, and that takes stumbling and it takes sorrow and it takes pain. And it also takes happiness. Like it's just, um, but it also, I think in the end, it takes forgiving yourself and letting things go. And that's really the only way that you can truly help yourself without having, I mean, he's making the case that the people don't give them their selves medication because in some deep subliminal way, they are holding on to biting that fruit in the garden of Eden. You know, today's the day before Easter and, and uh, my Easter message is simmering in the back burner of my mind. And what I'm thinking about is, um, mm. you know, a lot of focus has been on the, a lot of the focus has been on the uh, crucifixion, but that doesn't necessarily, um, not everybody can identify with that, but I what what you just described is it was so moving to me because while this sermon is simmering in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there are three things that there are three things that Jesus is recorded as having said on that last day that are probably the most profound and most important and probably the most overlooked, misunderstood, and underused. One of them is. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Like, like what you just said about forgiving yourselves. Forgiveness is such a huge element in human living. The second thing was when he was apparently on a crucifix next to a, a beggar, a, a thief, I don't know, um, somebody corrupt, that he said, I will see you in heaven because I think the message there is um, everybody is deserving of forgiveness relatedness, generosity, affection, attention, appreciation. Everybody is. And we've kind of forgotten that in our current society. And the third thing he said was, it is finished. Like you had this peacefulness that you don't have to fight it. You don't have to resist it. It can be just what it is. Those three things are very alive in me right now. So I was listening keenly while you were just describing the last things you described. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something beautiful in the connection with Jesus. Um, it's almost like his final act was allowing us to forgive. I mean, it really was to take away that original sin in, in theory, right? And, and I'm learning there's so much in the Bible that I once rejected because I clung to it having to be so literal, you know? And there's just such richness in some of these stories when taken as 
the way Jordan Peterson takes them as almost maps of morality to living in a way that will free you into a state closer to heaven. And, and Jesus does, I mean, what's more, what's more symbolic than dying on the cross for the sins of people so they can be closer to who they truly are as, as creatures of, of God themselves, right? There were manifestations of creation and, and to walk in that knowledge means you have to free yourself from that or you'll never reach that place. Uh, the finished place. So how are you right now? I'm good. I just, I don't know. I feel really soft this morning um, with Jesus because, you know, my grandma, I've mentioned her a lot. She was just so in love with Jesus. Like she just loved this. She loved Jesus. And, and I always think of her this time and I woke up and someone sent me and I sent you the uh, hallelujah with these two girls. I think their sister singing it. And I just started bawling. And it's not even that I am connected to Christianity that much anymore. And I, but something about that song and the story of Jesus dying just like, ugh, gets me, <laughs> gets me pretty, gets me somewhere. These Like right now, I just, um, you know, and it's a good time to reflect on that. And it, I wasn't even really thinking about it in the context of this chapter, but it, boy, it doesn't seems it? Like it it's not an accident well. that we started going, huh? What are we up yeah. to? We know exactly what we're up to. You and I are paying attention to what we're, we're paying attention to what's poking us. Yes, I'm being poked a lot lately and it's, it takes a lot to self-reflect and I just, you know, I do feel like I've failed a lot lately and not being the best I can be and it's hard to actually forgive yourself. Like it, it haunts me because I play things over in my brain all the time. Like, why did I do that? Or why didn't I let that go? Why am I allowing this action to affect me so much? Um, but it's growth because there's a time I don't think I would have even recognized that I'm sitting in that place and I need to change it. You know, just just being aware of it and then being able to forgive yourself enough to love yourself enough to help yourself. So... It's a definitely, I think, something most people, I can't imagine people not relating to this. Like, who can, who has not felt this before? Um, Even Jesus felt it, right? Sometime you and I should talk about the Gospels, the Gospels of Thomas, the Gnostic Gospels. Gospels. They're, they're non-canonical. They were not included in uh, the Old or the New Testaments. Um, they weren't discovered until the 1950s. Uh, they're like 120 or 130 basically sayings of Jesus. They have nothing to do with uh, his history, but they're mostly like, what did he say? And um, and there's a lot of like like Japanese koans in there. Like if you if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. And if you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. We may want to tackle those sometime because mm. right now I'm moved. Thank you. Yeah. Tell, I can we have you? Well, so what are you anticipating for tomorrow? Since it's, as a preacher, like oh, Easter is usually a big day, right? It's, the big, it's one of the big ones. It's, 
<laughs> or no, the big one Easter or Christmas is bigger? Traditionally in the United States, the most attended church service of the year. Um, what, what I'm anticipating is uh, a conversation similar to this, reflective, um, uh, I'm trying to find the word, um, confessional, like to, to be, a, that, that's what I'm anticipating. I'm anticipating a very soft, a very soft service and I might wear yellow suede shoes. I, oh, yeah. I, Don't you have a I, whole Easter? I do, but um, it's pretty I amazing. actually already put it on the on the pulpit for for tomorrow. But I think I'm going to take it down and just put it aside because I think maybe tomorrow I'm just going to wear yellow shoes, just oh. step back into the real world with a little bit of color. Yeah, and you? I like it. Are you guys you doing Easter egg hunt? I like it. Well, um. We're going to do a neighborhood Easter egg hunt with all the kids out in the woods. I mean, what better place uh -huh. to hide Easter eggs than a forest? Uh, and I think someone said they actually hide the kids Easter egg baskets. So I think I'm going to do that. I haven't done that before, but I think however long it goes along the candy eating experience. I didn't do too much candy. <laughs> it's like I got a little toys and like a couple chocolate things, but. You know, I still remember when my parents got divorced for the uh, first year, I think we did Easter at both houses. And I think each parent wanted to like make sure our Easter was amazing since it was uh -huh. the first year that they were like, divorced and they just went all out on these Easter egg baskets. And so my sister, who was littler than I, ate the entire basket at my mom's house, then went to my dad's, ate the entire basket and then just <laughs> barfed everywhere. It was just like my like all just these lovely memories me too uh, she'll like that i told that story all these lovely easter memories but yeah i think it'll be fun and of course i'm going to listen to you um i'll try for the 9 30 but sometimes i miss that one um yeah so i'll be looking for your yellow well, actually, shoes they belong they, be they belong they belong to mauricio i, always enjoy I, I gotta sermon. sneak him out of his closet before he wakes up oh <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay well hopefully no, you don't listen to this podcast before then. all right katie happy easter to you happy spring <laughs> happy buddha's birthday happy passover happy holy happy everything in between yeah happy everything all right well take care Hello and say to hi John to and, no and carmen for me bye